previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And I went out there with the Yankees, and in a week, by sitting down in the dugout three hours before the game with the manager, I got a Ph.D. in baseball, the same thing that you yeah. did in football. And yeah. I knew it, and I know it now. And I, you know, and so we're... We're the same person. I, you know, we're, you're younger, better looking, got <laughs> more hair, but we're the same person. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. That was me talking to Peter King the other day. And we have a lovely email from Ken Scudder in Philadelphia. Your interview with Peter King was illuminating, but you forgot to ask him the most important question. How do you think the Packers will do this year? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> We also got the the fact that Sean Doolittle, the Beltway Mitterrand, has landed with a thud in Seattle. We from Scott Freeland in Pasco, Washington. Sean Doolittle acquired by the Mariners. Really? Can we get a call into Dave Sims and check on him? So, <laughs> you know, Sims, I'm sure, is very excited about that. Um, let me explain the geography of the show for the next couple of weeks. As Nigel is in New York City and joining us from New York City, Michael is here. Sean is in the metropolitan New York area as well. Maybe we'll get Jeannie here one day or Gary or Tori. I, you know, Chris, I don't know. I, I don't know what we're going to do. But there was a certain amount of uh, topsy-turviness to today's show, and I will explain that at the top. Yeah, I had to pick up the bagels. You had to pick up the bagels, and usually <laughs> on Monday there's bagel sandwiches. And today was just bagels, and I didn't know what to do when I got a bag of bagels because I knew you'd be disappointed. And, in fact, yeah. you were disappointed. Yes, but I'm so predictable. <laughs> I'm predictable. You should feel good about that. Do you want to tell the people what you made a pizza, a homemade pizza last night? It was really good. Well, yes. Well, I had, a few, start, I, had a few, I had a few people who invited themselves over to dinner. That includes one Chan and one Tony. Yeah, we As did. they made plans around me and then let yep. me know about it. So yep. I actually made a, uh, I made an overnight pizza dough with my sourdough starter for my sister Liz, which I tried to trick you into eating a pizza with zucchini and eggplant. I'm not eating that. Lo and bold, you did not try it. No, I didn't even go near uh, it. So what did you think of my, uh, I call it a grandma style. This is a pan pizza. I liked it very much. I thought it was very good and it was crispy enough that... That I, I just really liked it. I thought it was great. I'm impressed that you can make a pizza in your own house, you know, without ordering it. You know, because yeah. I'd have to order it. Now, what do you think of the chimichurri? A little spicy for you? Too Didn't garlicky? Eat Didn't eat it. You did the, the whole steak, the, the premise of this oh. steak and the preparation. Oh, is that was what chimichurri, is? chimichurri It was wonderful. But I just ate the steak and the potatoes. So you didn't, didn't, you didn't even try. I didn't dressing. put the ad on. No, no, I didn't. Okay, but this comes back to our ketchup dilemma, which is well, nobody I, told I, understand, me. I understand you're against sauce and mixing foods. Yeah. But when that is part of the design of the dish. So I got a different. This was a, this was a boneless short rib that was designed. It had a little bit more of a texture to it than, say, if we got ribeye. So it really needed that sauce to finish it that acidity okay so let me let me go over this let me go over this nobody told me that there was anything to put on top of the meat or the potatoes did you not look left and right and see that I, everyone else had drizzled this finishing no, sauce over there i don't care what other people eat let them eat what they want let them eat cake as marie antoinette would say no <laughs> i care what i eat i went by myself with the tongs and the spatula twice and got steak and potatoes and was thrilled by it you telling me that there's uh chimichurri is that what it's called chimichurri yes like you know shim shim shuri yeah I, you telling me there's that i didn't know that i didn't know that nobody put a sign that said hey eat this on top of the meat i didn't know i didn't know i'm sorry i loved what i had well at least there was enough for you this time there was more than enough and i loved what i and had thoughts on the sausage the starter sausage that was great and that was polish sausage but not kielbasa i don't think so i just found this at the giant and i knew that she really would want this it's really good so it was really good all right so let me let me sort of divest myself of the anxiety that i had earlier this morning um, today was a day that we were going to have tom friedman of the new york times on this particular podcast and you would say, oh, you're going to talk to him about Afghanistan? You're going to talk to him about politics? No, not even a little. No, 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 no. We were going to talk to him about something he did over the weekend at the BMW at Caves Valley, where he is a member. Tom Friedman, and I probably said this before, uh, as a younger man, was a low single-digit player. He's a very good player even now. He's a really good player, Tom Friedman. Um, he... Is, on, is Caves his home course? Well, Bethesda and Caves are his home courses. Yes. 
It's a pretty good list. It's a pretty good way. His other list is fabulously more impressive. Anyway, so Tom Friedman, I don't know if any of you have ever been to a golf tournament, but if you have, you'll know what I'm talking about. And sometimes on TV, you see these people. There's always one or two people with a given group, and they're carrying a big sign which identifies the golfers in their group as many as four, but more commonly two or three. It has their names on the sign, and it is up to date after every hole with what their score is, plus or minus or even. Plus or minus or even. Somebody carries that sign for all 18. Tom Friedman, and I've said this before to you people, between us, we have three Pulitzer Prizes. And since I have none, you know he's got three. And the Pulitzer Prizes are not given out. It's not like the Australian Open goes into the French, goes into Wimbledon, goes into the U.S. Open. No, no, no. Not four Pulitzer Prizes awarded every year. There's one. So if you've got three of these, you're, you're in the Hall of Fame. You're a big deal. So he, was, he carried um, on Saturday. He was in the threesome with DeChambeau, Rahm, and Cantlay. Were they together on Saturday? I think so. You know, so, so I was going to talk to him about that. His granddaughter, he's about to get, his daughter went into labor today to deliver a grandchild. So he said, could I just postpone? I said, sure, absolutely. So we scrambled a little bit. Do you think he got the signed golf ball after 18? I always toss it to the kid. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I want to talk all about that because it, that, to me, is a very exciting thing to do, especially during the week when it was so hot. It was not that hot yesterday, but it was so hot Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I want to know if he hydrated. I want to know if he got sick or anything like that. So we'll talk about that at some point. And now we were going to get Barry's for Luca, and Barry was there for all four days. I think all four, but certainly two or three of the days. So we'll get Barry later on in the show. In other news um, that we should talk about at the top of the show, Ed Asner died at 91 years old. You have to be of a certain age. You probably have to be at least 50, maybe even at least 60, to know who Ed Asner was. Ed Asner was Lou Grant on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. On anybody's list of the greatest sitcoms of all time, top five, top ten, whatever you want to do, Ed Asner as Lou Grant is on that list with the Mary Tyler Moore Show, one of the greatest sitcoms of all time that gave us Lou Grant... It gave us Mary Richards. It gave us Ted Baxter. You know, it gave us all of the... Valerie Harper, the actress, was on that show. What was um, Rhoda? She was Rhoda on that show. Rhoda Morgenstern, that was a spinoff show. Sue Ann Nivens, Betty White was on that show. <laughs> Sue Ann Nivens, an aggressive woman. Um, <laughs> you know, Murray Slaughter was on that show, who later became Captain Steubing. In the love boat. I mean, that gave birth to a lot of things and a lot of people. And so he passed away at age 91. And he won a billion Emmys. And all of them were deserved. Uh, maybe we can get to this with Wilbon. I'm not sure. His boy, Javi Baez, uh, you know, has decided he hates Mets fans. And every time he lights on a base, he puts his two thumbs down. And like, I hate you. I hate you, Mets fans. You should check out Lindor's glove. I hate you, Mets fans. And now the GM, Sandy Alderson, has said, well, we're not going to have this anymore. We're not having this. And that's going to cause a confrontation. And I don't know if they have rented Baez for the year. And Baez is a free agent. But we'll talk, Wilbon loves Baez and um, and the owner Steve Cohn is not crazy about this either. He hasn't condemned it in the way that Sandy Alderson has, but it's it's out there. So we're going to talk a lot about golf, and I will just say this about the golf. And I understand it's not the lead on Sports Center. Like I get that. I get that they're going to lead with exhibition football, which is sort of a stretch because in the last exhibition game, very few starters are out there. Like, if you watch the Washington team get crushed by Baltimore and you think, oh, boy, this is bad for the Every year. Every year. No. I mean, almost nobody on the field in that game is making the squad. They're not. It, you know, just calm down, Sparky. That's not the one to look at. So we'll, that, But that's going to be the lead of PTI, I'm sure. I just saw that it was a lead on Center, And golf is never going to be the lead. Not in something like this. But we're going to talk about Not golf. even for the penultimate event? You know, well... With the driving machine? Well, that was... Yeah, BMW. I mean, that... I was talking uh, about DeChambeau. Oh, DeChambeau. Yeah, he's the driving machine. What he did on 11, that drive on 11... From the new tee. Is about the most impressive thing I've ever seen on a golf course. That one drive. 
And we'll talk to Barry about that. And then we'll talk to Tom about it because Tom knows that course. Tom's played it hundreds of times. He knows that course well. So we'll get to that down the road. Um, but in a, in a small period of time, I would say uh, between 6.30 and 7.15, was the playoff still going on yeah. then? Between 6.30 I was prepping dinner. and 7.15, I got, okay, I got texts, oh. random texts. Oh, Chessie texted. All of these things, all the texts said, are you watching this? That was the essence of the text. Are you watching this? From Wilbon, from Finn at Pineapple Landscaping, from Norby Williamson, from Adam Mandel, from Jimmy Crilly, and from Ron Giovanni Sr. All of these people, are you watching this? And I said, sure, of course I'm watching this. That was great television. And we will come back with Michael Wilbon, right? And we will talk to him because I know he was watching this because he hates Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> he was thrilled when DeChambeau missed the last putt. Absolutely thrilled. And before I go away, I should say this about Patrick Cantley. That's as clutch a performance with a putter as I have ever seen. Uh, just time after time after time from distance, holding putts that if he doesn't hold them, he loses. Just tremendous. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. Summer is coming to an end. The leaves are about to fall. When Mother Nature does her thing to prepare for the new season, you can do yours by seeing how much you can save on home and auto insurance. Policy Genius can't help you refresh your cool weather wardrobe for autumn, but they do make it easy to see if you're overpaying for another kind of coverage, home and auto insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place. They can help you find home and auto insurance similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. Who doesn't want that? They've saved customers an average of $1,250 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. That, that is all you really have to read. It's an average of $1,250 a year. They've saved new customers an average of $435 per year on auto insurance. They've saved new customers an average of $350 per year on home insurance. Their team will handle the paperwork to set up your new policy or switch over your current one. Getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com and answer a few quick questions, not trick, but quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from America's top insurers, from Progressive to Allstate, to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team can look for ways to save you more, including bundling your home and auto policies. And if they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they will switch you over for free. So head to policygenius.com, P-O-L-I-C-Y, genius, policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. And I should just add that Michael printed out the read the reads today. This is printed out so small. It's about 75%, I'm guessing. It's like an ant would be able but to But you passed your eye so test. So small. I did with glasses. <laughs> I have corrected vision to 2020, I would assume. All right, we'll be back. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Don Stewart has sent us a couple of songs. One is called Love Enough, and one is called Desert Child. Um, he said, one of my favorite shows was when you were introducing a song of mine, and Chris said that John Stewart was really great. Then you said, yes, John Stewart was great, but this is not John Stewart. This is Don Stewart. Then Chris said, oh, made me feel good that my name was even being discussed in a conversation about Don Stewart. Which one is this, Love Enough or Desert Child? This, this is, is Love, Volume Love 27 Enough. album, Love Enough. Plays in Michael Wilbon. Don Stewart will be back later in the show. Plays in Michael Wilbon. And as I said a little earlier, I understand what Sports Center does. I understand what drives the bus. I understand it's football. I understand if all there is is exhibition football, that drives the bus. We are an exhibition football-free zone today. We're involved with golf. We're involved with golf. You watch this thing. I watch this thing. People all around the country who play golf and like golf watch this thing. I think I texted you at one point. This is the greatest you know, mano a mano thing I may have ever seen in golf. I mean, there's no teams around. You're not going back to the dugout after a hit. You know, you're out there alone. It's just you. And they're going back and forth. And Cantlay's putting was just unbelievably good. What were your thoughts overall about what you saw? Um, you know, once once we got into extra time, Tony. Yeah. Uh I thought this is this is really cool. I, I you know, the day had lots of sort of 
news and then secondarily because they were able to project like it was election night. They got a little crazy with the projections. Yeah, yeah, who's in the top 30? You know, uh, make the tour championship this weekend in Atlanta and who would maybe make the Ryder Cup, Uh, both Europe and uh, America in terms of wild cards, speculating on those. And So the, the day already had news, but once it got to the extra time, extra holes, and it involved the two people that it did because they're such opposites. Yes, they are. You know, Patrick Cantlay doesn't say, he doesn't even crack a smile. And he can hit the ball 300 yards, but he's not going 340 and 353. He's not doing that. But he's making putts and he's doing things and he's not going to hit a chip like I would out of the rough in the extra holes because Bryson DeChambeau has no, relatively speaking, appreciation for that part of the game. So he just puts it if he's within 50 yards of the pin like I would. And, you know, like it, just, it, it just took on this mythic, you know, personality that I, I, I just wanted to keep going for a long time. But, I, you know, I'm one of those people I would never um, disrespect the game or uh, a golfer by screaming ugly things while people are playing because I didn't like them. I, I am a person who I do not root for DeChambeau. I root against him. I realize he's incredibly talented. I think he's good for the game. Very, very good for golf. I do not like, I just, I would, I root against him. And in, in that way, in sort of which you, you can root against people because they're worthy. Like DeChambeau wouldn't have all this if he wasn't worthy. He's quirky. He's weird. He's, according to people in golf course communities that he visits or plays in, he's dismissive and he's not nice to people. And there's a lot of reasons why folks are against him. I, I'm one of them. But that, that, <laughs> that the theater, the drama of that yesterday was, I told Neville last night, my buddy Neville Waters, I said, this is as good as any duel that I've seen not involving Tiger. I'm not, I wasn't paying attention closely to golf for Tom Watson and Jack Nicklaus and duels they had. This this without Tiger is the best duel I had ever seen. You were so I should I should explain this to people. Wilbon and I, I I was I drove to Michael's house last night while the tournament was still on. I get a call from Mike, and um, I'm out on the porch listening to it. And you say you 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 thought Cantlay had lost it on 17. Yeah. You thought he was done at 17 right then and there, and you were screaming, why does he take an eight iron? Why does he, why do these, <laughs> tell people what you were screaming. Go ahead. Well, I mean, guys, you look, the great thing about Cantlay is he was able to resist the power show, the muscle show yep. that DeChambeau puts on every time, every hole, every swing of the golf club. So DeChambeau is hitting a wedge. He's hitting a pitching wedge. 190 yards. Well, I mean, his pitching wedge is not the same as the pitching wedge that the rest of us are using anyway. But still, what it does is it gets in your head at least a little. It didn't get in DeChambeau's, I mean, in uh, Patrick Cantley's head very much. But Cantley's hitting an 8-iron 190 yards, and he, it, he was coming up shorter. He came up short a couple of times, and I'm just saying, we, can, you, can you please at least go to 7-iron? By the way, Tony, he did go to 7-iron. He did from essentially the same distances. He went to 7-iron, which made me happy because I had been screaming that to you on the phone. But it just, you know, the clubs they were using to hit these shots seemed insane. They're hitting the, 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 the fourth extra hole where they both, maybe it was five, where they both hit it. I mean, DeChambeau hits it to, to 10 feet. And Patrick hits it inside him. I, that, I'm by myself in Chicago in my apartment watching, and I'm screaming out loud at the result of these shots. It just, it's not possible to continue hitting them after you've been playing now. You're up to whatever it is, you know, uh, how many holes? 23, 24 holes. It's insane. So I'm, I'm watching this thing, and... I've watched a lot of golf over a lot of years. And when somebody wins a tournament and has a very impressive tournament, they invariably putt well. These things happen. People putt well. I'm not sure I've ever seen somebody putt under pressure 
as well as Cantley. There were three or four different putts of distance that if he doesn't make those, and he's putting first, it's over. That's right. It's over. He's not going to win. And he made them all, and they were center cut each one of those. <laughs> I am not that familiar with Cantley. I know he's I know he's highly ranked now, but he's never won a major. I don't really know him. That was as great a clutch performance in, in a sport as I've ever seen. I wonder if you felt the same way. Well, I just he's you know, people get carried away in these golf telecasts and they talk about courage. It's not courage, it's nerve. It's not courage. You have yeah. to have the nerve to do that. You have to have the nerve to just put well. In that circumstance, but to make that many putts is insane. You just each time you think, okay, that's he, that's enough. He's already proven his his nerve, and he does it again, 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 and he does it again. And and listen, Deschambeau made some important shots. The wedgie hit to you know eight feet after. No, it's closer than that. It was four feet after he hit his drive in the water. That that that's stunning, but it needs to be said, Tony, that that DeChambeau choked like a dog multiple times. He choked. He had putts under ten feet. Okay, if you miss, if you and I are playing at Columbia and you miss four putts under ten feet later around, I'm going to say, Tony, you, you you're gagging here. And if yeah. I do that, you're going to say to me, uh, you're gagging, and it would be true. And it doesn't mean that DeChambeau isn't great. It doesn't mean, again, he's, that he's not good for golf. He is good for golf. It doesn't mean that he, he might go out and win, in, win at Eastlake this weekend. He might. But he choked. Three putts so, under 10 feet, Tony. Certainly the last 17, one. I think. Certainly the last one. Lead. Yeah, certainly, certainly the last one was a bit. Tony, and three he's, under 10. I'm sorry. And he's always... It's the same putt, and he's left. He, you know what I mean? He hits it he left. He wasn't even he, close, Tony. His wife's a choke. Because on one of those putts he has to win, he was a foot outside the hole on the left. A foot. Yeah, he's always left. So and let me, let me get to one this. Of right as well. But it, he just, he, he gagged, and he's so, here's why he's so dislikable. I know you don't care about this, and you like him. At the I do. End of the, at the end of that round, okay, at the end of that, and Cantlay, from all indication, is, you know, a pretty good guy. Um, there's nothing that people really find dislikable about him. They barely looked at each other and shook hands. That's on DeChambeau. Because after something like that, you, you, you even put your hand on the guy's shoulder if you don't hug him and you say, listen, that was great. We see this That's in right. tennis all the time. Even You're with people right. who don't like each other, they at the net – they, they, they embrace almost or fully, and they just say, you were fabulous. DeChambeau didn't say anything. He said nothing. He barely looked at him. So don't t- I don't want to hear anybody tell me, well, they're being unfair. DeChambeau is like, no, he isn't. And, you know, I, I, I know a little bit about this. I, I live in a golf course community part of my life, and I, I get to hear professional golfers, sometimes people on tour, talk about, who they like, who they hate as a competitor, but they just think, wow, this guy's amazing. You know, who they root for, who they root against. I get to hear all of this in, in what I consider an off-the-record way. I don't really talk about it publicly much, but I, I, I'm, I have access to that kind of conversation living in Scottsdale. D- Chambeau, Tony, this is who he is. There's a reason people dislike him. There's a reason people were rooting against him yesterday. And, it's, you know, I, I, I felt that I feel bad for him. Yeah, a couple times I kind of did. And then I have people that I am on text message with who are in sometimes the, the, prof- the industry of golf say to me, don't you dare. You know, you know why we don't like this guy. Don't you dare feel bad for him. I did I, a couple times when he missed those putts and he was muttering, I did feel bad for him. Well, I like him. I think he's good for golf. I love that there was one hole, and, and it's always a little bit different when you know the course. And you and I have both played there 10, 15 times in our lives. On what is now number 11, because they flipped, they flipped the nines, what is now number 11, the drive he hit into the throat that was like 350 yards, 
that carry yeah. with water on the right-hand side. That was beastly beyond words. And then he did pull out a putter, you know, and he, birdied, he ultimately birdied the hole. But I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that. I think that when I watch him, I'm amazed that he seems to have no sense of caution with his drive. You know what I mean? He doesn't care where it lands. Yeah. He doesn't care. He thinks he can get there. He got on the green on the next hole on 12. He got on the green out of junk, out of total spinach. He was 20 yeah, feet yeah, he did. from water, and he got out, and he got on the green. You just say, my God, this, you know, the, the great line, he plays a game with which I'm unfamiliar. I, I, I do like him, and in the whole thing with Kepka, I think Kepka's the antagonist in this. But I understand that a lot of people don't like him. What I'm saying and what I know you agree with is, that was spectacular yesterday. It really the whole, was. The whole thing was, oh, I, I watched just, it. I knew I was going to be annoyed last night by the time Sports Center got through every meaningless, bogus, <laughs> that's crappy yeah. quarterback <laughs> duel that's not even decided. Not only is it not decided yesterday, they even talked about You know Bill Belichick is going to talk about that. There's no, there's no news value in that for me. I understand it drives the freight, as you said. I, I, I get that. Um, and I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I didn't have to depend on it. When Sports Center got to it, they spent they they spent the worthy amount of time on it. I'm glad I was engaged in it, and it's the only thing in sports I was engaged in yesterday. Um, but Tony, you know, Deschambault's going to have to do something other. I tell you what, 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 the reason I don't care about his driving anymore is, as, you know, people say, well, why can't the long drive people? How come? Because because they can't play the full game. DeChambeau, of course he could play the full game. He's won a U.S. Open. Yeah. But, Tony, here's what he, he that He had one occasion yesterday where he had to make a professional chip shot, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He flubbed it. And then he, and then, and then he couldn't make the putt. Tony, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the short game of scratch golfers that we go out and play with. He couldn't do it. He, could, he had one chip. He couldn't even get it out of the spinach. So Here's he what I won't argue. That amaze, yeah. and they're all the, I don't they're, think... they're all the one-trick pony things, and I'm starting to think. Yeah. You know, so with, listen, here's the question. Is he so fearless that he's going to go out and do this at Eastlake and just say, to hell with this. I'm going to show these people that last week meant nothing. Can he do that, or is he going to, be, is he going to unravel? I mean, I don't know. you know, there's a guy that I like, that you have said, oh, he chokes all the time. Well, he won last week. He See won now. last week, and he's the number two guy at Eastlake. He's going to start two shots behind Patrick. By so, the way, I hate that format. I, I hate it. it. I love when it. You know, when you get your final 30, the winner wins. The winner no, wins. that doesn't mean anything. You I just hate play a this. Tournament. There's no build-up to winner wins. Hate it. What are you playing the I whole year for? Hate it. Can't There's stand no winner it. Win. I can't That's stand like it. That the the Bulls should have won the championship if they won a game on the last day of the season. No, 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 no. no, no. It's like saying if the it's like saying if the Bulls were playing the Blazers in the finals in a seven game final and the Bulls got six games at home and you go, what is that? No, well, that's garbage. No, no. you're, you're handi- like well, that's like saying what is a handicap? Do you do you play with a handicap? Yes, you do. Versus Mallory yeah, but these Crawford. guys sure you do. Yeah, and so I should have just twenty shots better than I am. You start come on, like it's, it. it's strokes. I don't like strokes. it. Okay, I you don't like the shambo. I don't like this. One other question, your boy El Mago. Did you see what he does with his yeah, thumbs I, down? God when he bless land? him. I tweeted it out last night. Okay, so what do you think? Will all of what do you? Well, I always hated what, my whole life. You think do you I hate don't Bonnie. like the shambo? Right. And so El Mago, what do you think will happen? Good. good. Is he is he going into his free agent year or is yes. he contractually? Oh, yes. so he can leave. Oh, okay. He's going to come right back to Chicago. Because let me you tell you so? something. That was oh, you talk about now talk about taking some stones, some cojones. Look, I'm, he looks right at him and turns his thumbs down. Good. Yeah, I, good. I hope we talk about that today. Well, we 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 can talk about that. This is good. Your, your hatred, love, you, you your know hatred he's, of he's not DeChambeau player, and Met fans. He's one of my favorite players ever. One of my he's, favorite Cubs. He's a good player. One of my five favorite Cubs of all time is El Mago. And I'm glad he's a very he took good player. Mets fans down yesterday. 
All right, good. Well, we'll talk later. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll get out of here. Uh, we'll come back. Barry's for Luca will join us when we come back, and it's more golf. I'm sorry. That's what I want to talk about. More golf. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Don Stewart. We play his songs a lot. He's really good. This is called Desert Child. He thanks us for playing his songs and for doing this show. We thank him for sending his songs in. Michael, if people like Don Stewart want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And I just want to admit, it was tough for me not to interject once with uh, your interview with Mr. Wilbon about the BMW. Just saying. What, what did you want to do? What, no, 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 just, just well, about... Barry's on it. Barry's no, just on it. Shambo being on the record of saying, I want to master this one club, but yeah, that has been the common criticism about uh, his wedge play, and in particular, short wedges. So Barry's Verluga joins us now, just to bring you up to date. Wilbon hates, hates the Shambo, hates him, and called him a choker, said he choked like crazy yesterday, and was very upset at the end of the match, where he didn't feel that Wilbon was cordial to Patrick Cantlay and you know he just he he hates him and you know just in, as we also have now learned he also hates Met fans and loves <laughs> uh Baez putting thumbs down to the people that are actually paying his salary so you were Barry you were out there how many in your life you've you've played right you've played Caves Valley a bunch of times I'm assuming right no, I haven't oh have you guys, oh, you haven't have you played it a bunch? no 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 I've yes. never set foot on the property Oh my! Then then you're not going to have the appreciation for the drive, the Shambo's drive on eleven, which was the most beastly thing I've ever seen, where he well, landed it right in the throat. I, it was just incredible to me that drive. I, so I can, I mean, I can appreciate it even not having played there. But that, I mean, it it is. I think we all know what Bryson DeChambeau's brand of golf is by this point. But but seeing it up close is it's a different experience it's it's violent and majestic and crazy and just a mix of so much stuff but landing that in the throat of the apron taking on water that is not on the right no one no one stands on that tee box and says you know what i think i'm going to take on this water over here i mean it's and and you know it's also a demonstration of the different games that that he and Cantlay were playing uh, on the same course. Um, Really fun stuff. Just fun stuff all day. So there is nothing cautionary about DeShim. I mean, I can't get into Wilbon's psychology why he hates him. I actually like him. Um, There's nothing cautionary about the way he plays. But Wilbon is right in this regard. He has not mastered all aspects of golf. You know, I mean, he he does. There's certain things he doesn't do particularly well on the level of top five in the world, which is probably where he is when he's on his game. When you watched him yesterday, everybody is awed by him. But do you say to yourself, and because you, you know golf, is he a complete player as far as you're concerned, or is he sort of another roadside attraction? I think he's a combination, and I think it depends on the week. I mean, at, at Wingfoot last year, um, he was absolutely a complete player, and I think it was a too simplistic view to say, oh, he overpowered a U.S. Open course, and because he drives it so long, um, he's going to be able to win almost any time. Um, the, the, the length of his drives are a quantifiable statistical advantage. And because he is some sort of mathematician scientist combination, he knows the analytics that go into it. But if he does not, you know, play well with a wedge and as Michael said, short wedges, um, and if he misses eight, 10, 12, 15 foot putts that would win a match or win a tournament as he did yesterday, then on that week, he is not complete. At Wingfoot, he was absolutely complete. He, he was a wonderful putter. Um, his wedge play was sharper. Um, and he drove it, you know, off the moon. So um, there, there's a, a weak to weakness with him. And I think, I think what that created, uh, what the U.S. Open victory created was this idea that 
um, he could go to Augusta. And if you remember, you know, he won Wingfoot in the said fall. So. And then, yeah, and then yeah. the Masters was said, I'm going to overpower it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, it's a par 67 for me. And, and you know, 13 yeah. and 15 are, are, are par fours um, because I have, you know, I, it's driver wedge for him. Um, it, it, you know, I get why he said it. He should not have said that stuff. It's, it gives people fuel. It gives the Wilbons of the world. And I'm not even saying I disagree with Mike. I mean, it, there's a lot that you go, you, you listen to what he says and, and how he goes about things. And you're saying, why, why are you doing this? This is self-inflicted stuff. Just, I mean, you, you want to say, shut up until he does shut up because he, you know, he hasn't spoken to um, the, the media that follow the sport since uh, before the Memphis tournament. Um, so there's just, it, there's just, it just seems to, he always draws the spotlight. And there's a real reason why we're standing here on the morning after an absolutely riveting six hole playoff and, and five and a half hours that just was just so much fun. And we're talking about the guy who lost the tournament, not the guy who won the tournament, because the guy who lost the tournament is a person in golf who can break through and be a discussion point among general sports fans. And Patrick Cantlay is a wonderful golfer with, with you could argue a more complete game than DeChambeau. And it's just a non-factor in terms of moving a needle. That you're a hundred percent right. Patrick Cantlay does not have any particularly discernible personality. I watched his interview afterwards on the Golf Channel, and I I was very impressed with how bright he was and how direct he was when he said, "We knew this was going to be a birdie fest. We knew we were going to kill this course." I mean, you know, you want to talk about things that you're not supposed to say. Um, I thought that was something you're not supposed to say. But I will also say, as I said earlier in this show. Nobody ever wins a golf tournament and can't putt well. But this guy, this guy in circumstances where he would lose the match, he would lose it, was throwing him in from 25 feet center cut each time. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a guy putt more clutch than that. What are your thoughts? No, steely is the word that came to mind. I mean, there was a, there was a nerviness about it that... Um, as you said, you know, on 18, he, uh, in regulation, uh, he had to make birdie after they both. Yeah. Think about this, Tony. How good was the golf yesterday? Those two guys combined for 48 holes. They combined to play 48 holes. They made three bogeys between them. I mean, that's just great, great, great stuff. But, I mean, Cantley is standing over a 22-footer on, on 18 in, in regulation, Um no, you know, you don't expect to make, pros don't expect to make a 20-footer. I mean, you can make it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's makeable, but it's not, you, you know, the percentage does not say you're going to make it. And he, it was as if the hole was three feet wide and he <laughs> rolled it in at the one and a half foot mark on the, you know, it's just, there was no yes. doubt from, I was yes. standing above the hole and and I said from four feet out, oh, that's in. I mean, it's just one of those. It's just weird. And the, and it gave you a feeling that um, he had confidence, but also like you know resolve. Um, he knew the stakes. He was not bothered by the stakes. He takes a long time over these putts, but he was not going to get rattled by anything around him, by anything that DeChambeau said or did, including you know, telling him on 14, like, hey, Patrick, stop walking. Like, wh what was that all about? Um, so it, it was, uh, as, a, as a golfer and as a golf fan, um, watching him, I mean, it's just so much to admire in how he handled that. And, and you're right. I mean, um, rolling in putt after putt that if you whip it out, uh, you're done. And, and add Lose. one more, Tony, the chip on 18... I don't remember which playoff it was, but he's left of the green at 18, and it's a possible lie, and he takes this giant swing from, from the rough, pops it up, and, and lips it out. I mean, just, yeah. it was just great theater all, all day. So He uh, picked up 14 and a half strokes in the field for the week. Guys, just, just which is like a record, right? Perspective. Yeah. Yep, for a 72-hole event. So let me get to this, and because and 
I have played this. My son has played this course. I've played it a bunch of times. I have friends who are members, and I've gone up there a bunch of times, and I really like it. And I'm so admiring of Dennis Satisher, who is the head pro there, and, and the experience that he makes it for people who go to Caves Valley. Love it. The pros killed it. They killed it. And yet, they had enormous crowds, and I suspect their rating was probably pretty good because they went into these extra holes. Do you get downgraded by the PGA Tour because because it yielded so many birdies and eagles, or do, or does the PGA Tour say we got to go back there? People loved watching that. What do you think? I, I think the latter, and I think um, I think that for a couple of reasons. One, no one would put any sort of blame on Caves Valley for the fact that. For the first time in PGA Tour history, somebody shot 27 under and did not win the tournament, which was the Shambo, um, yeah. 72. But it, it, it was, we've had so much rain every day. The course is taking on moisture. You can't dry it out. And, that, and then if and you let these guys get their hand on the ball, like they, they, no course has a chance when these guys can pick up the ball, clean it off, and, and, now they've got a wedge in. Um, they're just gonna they're gonna torch the place. Rory McIlroy made this point. He he said, you know, the PGA Tour is more of an entertainment product, not major championship golf, which is, you know, the USO, USGA and and the Royal and Ancient over in Scotland would say we're trying to set up a test that identifies the best golfer of the year in the USGA's case or the champion golfer of the year uh, at the British Open. That, that's not really the tour's objective. The tour's objective is to gin up excitement and interest around this FedEx Cup playoff that they have that ends with the 30-man tour championship. And, and that's why when you listen to the broadcast, there's so much focus on who's on the bubble and you yeah. know who's going to get yeah. to East Lake and all that kind of stuff. So to me, well, a, a a golf aficionado, a golf snob um, would say, well, caves was defenseless and, and they, they shouldn't, you know, it, you could shoot 65, 65, 65, 66 and miss the playoff in it, which is ridiculous. Right. Um, but if you're, if you're a sport that has to understand at some level, it's a niche sport and it needs to look for every opportunity to invite people to get interested in, in the competition and what they're putting on in the show. And yesterday was a show in the best sense. Then what's wrong with coming to a place that yielded a bazillion birdies and, and back-to-back Eagles and somebody flirted with 59. I mean, it, that offers an opportunity for more discussion from the general sporting public than if somebody plotted to, a very interesting for golf fans win at, you know, say eight under par over four days. Um, there's, there's stuff that I would love about that, but I don't, I think, I think the latter, I think what happened offers more of an opportunity for the regular sports fan. And then if you take that into the overall golf calendar, then you have a great mix. Like, okay, these guys shot 27 under and went to a six game, uh, six hole playoff. And that was super fun. But you know, the, U.S. Open at Torrey was fun in a different way, and the Masters is always fun in a different way. And we've got a Ryder Cup coming up yeah. that will be fun in still another way. I, I like, I kind of like the mix. Yeah, I said this earlier in the show. I got seven. I look. I, a lot of people don't have my phone number. I got seven different texts in a you know fifteen minute period, which essentially said this: Are you watching this stuff? I mean, I, I think if you liked sports, you had to watch this yesterday. You know what I mean, Barry? I mean, to me, well, to me, that is why you say to Caves Valley, you're getting another one. You're getting another one. Yeah, I mean, I was, you'll appreciate this. I was standing with um, Steve Sands uh, at the yeah. side of 18 in regulation and then again for the first playoff hole and again for the second playoff hole before I had to duck in and be like, oh, my goodness, I've got to print that line here. Um, and, uh, you know, Sands had a, 8:20 p.m. flight from BWI, and you know you just you watch what's going on, and you look at uh, the competition and the crowd that was there that hasn't you know this is still relatively new coming out of COVID for there to be packed um, 
packed stands and big roars and chants of each name. And, and you know, Sands and I looked at each other after they're going to 17. He's like, well, I mean, this is what we're here for. This is what you sign up for. And if you don't enjoy yeah. that in the moment, if you're flip, flipping off the, the TV after two or three playoff holes, um, you know, I'd, I'd venture to say you're probably not a big sports fan because that's, that was competition and gamesmanship and maybe a little saltiness between the competitors. And, and you know, if, if Bryson didn't hug Cantley at the end, like maybe Wilbon wanted him to, I think that's what he wants. That, oh, it's, it's, it's adds intrigue. Where does Bryson fit on this Ryder Cup team? Who's, who's he going to be paired with? I mean, there's, there's a lot going on in the best sense. And, and it's, it's why, you, you know, Tony, if something is worth, you know, the bulk of two segments on your, on your podcast the morning after it happens, it's not because it's just your personal thing that you, you enjoy. It's something that has um, captivated people, that has characters involved, that, that you want to dissect, and do you like him, do you not like him? Um, and then it, it really just carries momentum into the Tour Championship, which I would venture to say would have, you know, you, you pick up viewers based on what happened the previous week. I, I don't think that's, I mean, that's a prediction that I can't prove, but, but why wouldn't it? Because anybody who watched yesterday had to be enthralled with the whole thing. Totally agree. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Tony. Barry's Reluga, boys and girls. We will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. He's got your emails and your notes. He'll read them for all you folks. Cause it's the mailbag. Yeah, it's the mailbag. If you drive a car, no Subaru. If you try to fax, no, that won't do. If you went to Thank you, Sean. Lovely jingle. Always like that jingle. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda bagel ad? Yes, even though I was not there to get the bagels. You're thank not you, Michael. There. Yes, there is no you. line. That is, yes, that's Bethesda Bagel, 4819, located <laughs> in the heart of Bethesda, Bethesda Avenue. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was... I was really looking forward to doing that one, Dad. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. No, I'm pushing the mic away. No, this no, is this is Nigel's read. I didn't know. No, do you want to describe? No, no, no. no. I, I gave them our schedule for the week. We got bagels, not bagel sandwiches. I've already let you down in, in that category. So well, no, you, yeah. I don't consider that personal. <laughs> I don't consider that personal. There's the bagels, boys and girls. Yes. All right, that we just, love them. You yeah, will as well. That just about does it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, so put me on a highway and show me a sign and take it to the limit one more time. Did I mention there's a documentary, two-part documentary <laughs> about the Eagles? Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Barry Zerluga. We hope to have Tom Friedman uh, as a grandfather in the next few days. Thanks uh, to Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. And thank you, Dad, for trying the sauce. The chim chim chiri yeah, sauce. The chim chim chiri. Nobody said there was sauce. There's seven people sitting at the table. Again, look to your left, look to your right. Stand Clowns up, sit to down, the left fight, fight, fight. Yeah. <laughs> Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck, stuck in, in the, the middle, middle again. Uh, Rick Devens, our friend in Macon, Georgia. I'm not sure why, but I feel the need to share this with you. Modern day laundry detergents are designed to be used with a cold water wash. So if you're not using cold water, Procter and Gamble says you're doing it wrong. If they have anything to say about ironing, I will let you know. From um, Trevor Walton, wondering if you have any recommendations for a website I should use to get some great ideas for our upcoming trip to the DMV, La Cheeserie. From Trevor, and it's written in here, Google. What is the Google? Did you write the this? The Google? Nigel, did you write that? I don't oh, know if there yeah. are websites. Uh, what? Well, no, I was just saying, maybe, because he's asking us for information, maybe try Google, because that will give okay. him information. From Brad Weiss. Haven't heard from Brad Weiss in a while. In the history of this broadcast, there are arguably a number of transcendent themes that define what this is an, as an entertainment. One is what you had for lunch. One is the numerical configurations of license plates, <laughs> integers. One is the special venom to reserve for Dwight Howard. Another is this email. Probably too late for a Times Magazine cover story, but hey, add about 9,000 words and see if Remnick will post it. That's absolutely <laughs> The lunar calendar? 
<clears throat> from Robert in Honolulu, Hawaii, on Monday's show, Chessie began barking after you asked, what is Corn Ferry? As a certified dog translator, I can tell you that Chessie was trying to inform you that Corn Ferry is an L.A.-based management consulting firm started by Lester Corn and Richard Ferry. Chessie also wants you to know that not only is she smarter than the hammer, but also smarter than you. Hope this information was helpful, and tell my cousin Jason in Portland to eat it. How about this for a twist? The walker is now pretending to be a dog. Yeah, so that's great. I guess maybe Chessie won this one. Maybe. <laughs> uh, from Lynn Reek, um, I heard you speak last winter of the infamous Hinkle Tree at the storied Inverness Club in Toledo, Ohio. You mentioned it was a black spruce planted during the 1979 U.S. Open in the USGA's attempt to thwart Lon Hinkle's shortcut. I remember that Open well. My late father was a voracious golfer. We spent many hours at his home course of Riverby Hills Golf Club with him trying to teach me this frustrating game that I never learned. He insisted I accompany him to the Open to see the tree, telling me how famous it was and that I needed to remember this tree. I'm his only child, a non-masculine child of 24 at the time, and more interested in getting some sun and checking out the young men than getting excited about a tree. I went, saw the tree, had a wonderful day with my father. When it was all said and done, Dad and I saw five national tournaments at the Inverness Club. I need to correct you on what you said about the tree. It was not transplanted, but remained in its spot at the Inverness Club until high winds took it down on March 7th, 2020. I remember that day well as I lived just a stone's throw away from the club. My widowed father, who lived with me for the last, for six plus years, had just passed away two months earlier. Every time we drove past the club, which was weekly at least, he would bring up the good time we had walking the course during that tournament. I also remember an email where the question was asked if a course that hosted both the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. The Inverness Club is the only club to have hosted the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, the U.S. Amateur, the U.S. Senior Open, and the U.S. Junior Amateur, and the NCAA Men's Championship. Most recently, the Inverness Club hosted the first LPGA Drive-On Championship in 2020. Byron Nelson was the club's head pro. Byron Nelson from 1940 to 1944 and considered it his home course. S.P. Germain, the club's founder, was credited with conceiving the idea for the Ryder Cup. Right now, Toledo and the Inverness Club is gearing up to host the Solheim Cup starting in September. Thank you for reading my email and giving Toledo and the Inverness Club credit where credit is due. That's a lovely email. And from the incomparable Robert Berg, on Friday night, Claire Natola stopped by our house to drop something off. She said she couldn't stay long, and since I was about to pop over to the Giant, I asked her if she wanted anything. As it turned out, she desperately needed plain M&Ms. I rushed out the door with great purpose, walked into the store, and quickly started grabbing items on my list so as to not keep Claire waiting. I forgot my earbuds, and so I was listening to you and Lock and Four on speakerphone when I heard someone yell, Tony. I looked up, I saw a guy gesture to me and then say avocados. I couldn't believe it. I'd never encountered a little in the wild before. I waited for this moment for years, but my brain was not prepared to meet the moment. I had Claire's M&Ms on this brain, and so in this fugue state, I raised my hand and said, yeah. Yeah? Not, yeah. hey, my name's Rob. Nice to meet you, or the cheesery, or even eat at Saliza. It's a total choke job. This must be what Brad Hand feels like three times a week. Anyway... I'd like to take this moment to redress this inexplicable error and ask the gentlemen in the frozen food sections of the Ellicott City Giant to please forgive me my ineptitude and accept a belated lechizer. A wrong is unredressed until retribution overtakes the redresser. Wow. That's <laughs> I, that, sorry, major. that took a turn. Lit major. <laughs> Clint Johnson from Tulsa, Oklahoma, not Oklahoma City. The reach of this show continues for this fellow loyal little. I'm in San Diego on a business trip. My hotel is not a two-bathroom situation, I add parenthetically. I turn on the local NBC affiliate for the morning news. I know this weather person. It's Sheena Parveen. Tony talked about her a lot before she left the D.C. area. If I run into her, should I pass along well wishes from a bald orange man who hasn't left his attic in over a year? Or is that as creepy as it sounds? Yes, it is as creepy as it sounds. <laughs> Creepier. And one thing from Matt... Sikowitz in Crofton, Maryland. The photos below, and this is, you'd have to see the photos, show a memorial to Benjamin Bugsy Siegel located in the <laughs> courtyard of the Flamingo Hotel there on the go. Las Vegas Strip. Not prominently displayed, nonetheless, it pays tribute to Mo Green's real-life counterpart. There's also a picture of Bugsy across the hallway from the Flamingo Buffet. That was so great. That's such when Hyman Roth makes that speech about Mo Green. Did I get, did I swear vengeance? No, I did not. I understand that this is the business we have chosen. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always to wear white. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. 
shark flew up. Thank you, John.